Thank you very much, Karen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Christ in us. Thank you for the body of Christ and the completeness we have in Christ along with many other items. It's our desire to live in deep sensitivity to you because we want to finish well. We want to obey you each moment. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A couple of thought questions. For what are you known by your coworkers, fellow students, friends, neighbors? How would they describe you? What do you look at, listen to, click on with your radio, TV, phone, computer in the privacy of your home or your room or your bathroom? Is there a marked difference in your desires and the desires of unbelievers? I'm going to look at some verses from 1 Peter chapter 4. Keep in mind that in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to saints who are going through some difficulty. The difficulty is coming just because of living for God. And the difficulty is not coming from the government. It's coming from maybe a neighbor, a fellow slave, a family member. And Peter writes to encourage them how to live in sensitivity to God and such an Environment. The purpose again is to encourage them to live well. Let's read together 1 Peter 4 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. As we think about this passage of scripture, I think it's important to keep in mind that pagans in the first century view Christians as killjoys, who live gloomy lives devoid of pleasure, The pleasures from which Christians of the first century typically abstained were the more popular forms of Roman entertainment, the theater, with its often off-color performances, the chariot races, and the gladiatorial fights with their their blood and gore. Christian lifestyle also condemned the pleasures of an indulgent temper, 
Sex outside of marriage, drinking, slander, lying, covetousness, and theft. These attitudes towards contemporary Roman customs and morals combined with the Christians' refusal to burn incense to the emperor, that was a gesture of civil gratitude intended to assure the well-being of the empire, earned Christians the reputation of being haters of humanity and traitors to the Roman way of life. That is not new. Apparently, that has happened in church history since that time. In verses 2 through 4, we find that the thought is divided between the Christian life, two segments, when they lived as pagans before conversion to Christ and the life they lived after coming to faith in Christ while still being in the flesh. Apparently, they were adults who came to Christ. And when they came to Christ, there was a marked shift in their lifestyle. He says in verse 2, As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And that's the one who has the attitude or the mind of Christ. And Christ was willing to suffer because of his obedience to the Father. And the people to whom Peter is writing were willing to suffer because of their obedience to God. So not living according to evil human desires, and then in verse 3, for you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And then he mentions a number of sins. So apparently they were adults, came to faith in Christ, and their lifestyle changed. And that would stand in distinction to some people who come to faith when they're younger and may not have been involved in a lifestyle of what we might call sin that is so obvious. But notice what he says in verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do. He's talking about their coming to faith in Christ. And then he describes the way they used to live, but how the pagans choose to live even in the present time. The first five, first five items that are mentioned would involve unrestrained desire for sex, food, and drink. The last one involving something that was coming among the pagans, and that was idol worship. The first five items mentioned would indicate a lack of moral restraint and self-control. But the last item, again, dealing with idol worship. You spend enough time living as the pagans, and he mentions debauchery. It's a lack of moral constraint, particularly sexual acts, but also acts of violence, outrageous intemperance, lasciviousness or sensuality, and rudely overbearing. Present in that day, present down through the pages of church history and present today. He said, you spend enough time also living in lust, violent desires, 
irregular desires that control a person, acts of self-gratification. Some examples, pornography, masturbation, computer games of violence. He also says you've spent enough time living in drunkenness, excessive drinking, which results in losing control. Spent enough time living in orgies, merrymaking, lasciviousness, or sensual feasting. And again, if you follow culture today, the same thing is present in our world today. Carousing, drinking in excess, and what goes with it. I've been amazed at how many times I've talked to people over the years what happens when there is excess drinking. All kinds of things happen, and they're not good. It says you spend enough time also in detestable idolatry. Detestable, the idea of unhallowed, unlawful, criminal, in contrast to God. Idolatry is the worship of idols. In the first century, there was a polytheistic culture. Some religions may seem distasteful, but their practice was not condemned as immoral or a violation of a divine mandate. Only the Judeo-Christian tradition has a concept of idolatry, which is one reason why the Jews and Christians have been objects of social persecution down through the centuries. One writer says, Few in the polytheistic first century cared if Christians wanted to worship Jesus. But it was highly offensive for the apostles to labor other religions as idolatrous and inconsistent with the true worship of God. In our pluralistic age of globalization, issues of multicultural pluralism are creating a culture similar to that of polytheistic cultures, the type Peter and his hearers faced. Everything spiritual seems acceptable except the exclusive claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our culture today, many times Christ is okay as long as he is made as another way to God. When we live and communicate with Christ being the life, the way, the truth, then difficulties arise. When marriage is discussed according to God's will and God's design, there can be problems. When we discuss sexuality according to God's design, there can be opposition. When we refuse to participate in evil, we may be criticized. And it is this context to which Peter is writing. And Peter is not the only one who addresses this. Paul also in Ephesians 5, and if you want to turn there for just a few moments, addresses very similar things. In Ephesians 5, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, says, beginning with verse 3, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are inappropriate for God's holy people. 
Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, or 5 through 11, Paul, as he writes to the church in Colossae, says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And then he goes on and lists some other items, emphasizing again, Living well. In Galatians five nineteen through 21, Paul talks about what we call the works of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. And he says, you know, these are to be, again, put off. If we walk in the spirit, they won't be present in an ongoing manner. He mentions sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 11, Peter there says that we've been given all that we need in life and godliness, or life and godliness, to live well. As we think about Peter's hearers, Christ, the gospel, was transforming those people. The gospel of Christ is the core. He is the Savior. In Christ, believers have all that is needed for life and godliness. Christ, the gospel, changes people. And Peter says, you spend enough time living in these items, doing what the pagans do, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgy, Orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Stop and think about Peter's hearers coming to faith in Christ. Someone had to share Christ with them. Someone had to talk to them about what we call the gospel of Christ. Someone had to relate to them. Someone had to befriend them. Someone had to build relationships for them to come to Christ. Think about that in our world today. Sometimes we want to stand off from those who are not living, quote, unquote, according to our standard. Maybe we need to build some relationships with them and live holy and godly among them for God's glory. As we think about Peter's hearers, Peter had already told them that they had been elected by God. They had an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away. They were a chosen people. They were a royal priesthood. They were a holy nation belonging unto God. They're resources to live holy lives. Peter goes on. Says so you spend enough time living that way. 
they, in verse 4, the pagans living in those types of things, think it strange that you do not plunge into them with the same flood of dissipation. They think it's strange. And the idea of strange is surprised. Why won't these people any longer participate in the things that they used to and in what we enjoy, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, crowsing, and detestable idolatry? What's wrong with them? Why don't they live that way? Why won't they plunge, run together, company with us, flock with us as we live this way? He says, flood of dissipation. The idea of flood is an overabundance, an outpouring of excess, of dissipation, reckless, ruined in moral values and decency. Why won't they live that way any longer? They think it's strange, it's odd. There are people in this world that don't enjoy debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. So what happens? They heap abuse on you. They heap blaspheme on you. They malign you. They will talk negative about you. So the people to whom Peter is writing were experiencing some criticism, being maligned. You won't live the way you used to. You won't follow us in our lifestyle. What's wrong with you? So they blaspheme. They criticize. They tear down. Peter says, you've lived that way long enough. So they heap abuse on you. And in verses 5 and 6, as we'll touch on next week, he talks about the fact that there's a coming judgment. And that should make a difference in the way the believers lived and responded. The word for overflow or outpouring in verse 4, occurs only here in the New Testament. And it refers figuratively to the indulgent outpouring of excess pagan lifestyle. Rather than following a Christian example, pagan friends would marginalize, marginalize them because they would not participate. And in some respects, we are moving in our country today in a similar direction. As we are living in sensitivity to God and striving to please God, there may be some criticism. There may be some maligning. There may be some heap or abuse heaped on us individually as a church or as the body of Christ at large. It's not new. It has happened before. But it's okay. Probably won't change. 
I'm not a prophet in the sense that I can say, here's exactly what is going to happen. But in light of what Peter is writing and in light of our culture today, what we call Christianity, Judeo-Christian values, have already gone to the background to a large extent. And if the Lord tarries, we probably will go through more difficulty. We will experience more abuse, criticism tearing down. And my question is, are we committed to Christ that we will continue to follow him? Whatever may come. And not demand that the country must become what it used to be. But learning to live in a deep sensitivity to God with grace when there is criticism, difficulty, and abuse. If Jesus is viewed as another way, or one among many, there is no problem or abuse. If Jesus is viewed and accepted as the Lamb of God without blemish or defect, we're living stones, or the living stone, I'm sorry, the one who bore our sins, the one who brings sinners to God, the one who is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him, we're considered strange due to our strange lifestyles. Thus, abuse may occur. Peter writes to these saints years ago, encouraging them to continue to live for God. There's a gal that had shared with me, she was in her 30s. And as she worked on the job, she worked hard unto the Lord. Just was seeking to do a good job and was not real verbal. And over the course of months of working on the job, the gals that work with her get on to the issue of sex and sexuality. And they began to talk about a variety of things. And they said to her, well, when was the last time you had sex with your boyfriend? And how many guys have you been involved with? And she said, at this point in my life, I've never been involved with anyone sexually. And they laughed at her and kind of poked fun at her. (laughs) Talking to a lawyer within the last few years. And we were discussing a variety of things and the issue of pornography came up. And he said, our government, when people or guys are on trial for a variety of things, it is expected that all men are involved in some type of pornography over an extended period of time. And he went on to describe some other things, which, you know, I won't share at this point in time. You know, certain things are just part of culture. 
or the man on his job who many times would walk away from some conversations because they were just not appropriate. It would have tied in with some of the things that Peter mentions. He took a lot of abuse on his job because he would not go to porn site with the other guys. He would not gawk at women and then say inappropriate things about them. He took abuse. Or how about the individual who just simply worked hard, counted their job as an opportunity to display a Christ-likeness, laughed at repeatedly by co-workers, being told you work too hard, you're too concerned about the quality of your work. It almost seems like you want to be a craftsman rather than a worker. Are we as a church known for refusing to plunge into debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry? Are you as a family As an individual, known for not plunging into evil, as unbelievers may, are we willing to take criticism for obedience, as Peter's hearers did many years ago? Let's pray together. Father, as Peter writes to people, we know that they faced difficulty. And Peter brought them back time and time again to their new identity, who they were in Christ. And they had struggles. There were ups and there were downs. But Peter is encouraging them how to live. We live in a culture where walking with you and striving to be sensitive to you may result in some abuse and criticism. But in that context, may we be found faithful. Father, may we understand the fact that you're able to do immeasurably more than what we ask or comprehend or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us. So as we live each day with our families on the job, in school, and so on, may we live in a deep sensitivity to you, loving people where they are, and if there's some criticism comes, willingly accept it. Not thinking we have to defend ourselves, but continuing to live well. We may be concerned about things that take place in our nation, things that take place in our areas of our area of influence. Maybe evil. And we focus on living well, extending grace and concern to those that may abuse us verbally or criticize us. And Father, if that were to increase in years to come, 
May we remain faithful to you. Not trying to correct every ill of our culture or our country, but living in obedience to you with Christ as our life, with his power at work in us. And Father, we thank you that our doing well and continuing on is not totally dependent upon us because you have begun a work in us and you continue that work. You hold us fast. As the song we sang earlier, his mercy is more. You pursue us. You're at work in us. And it's our desire to respond to you in obedience and deep sensitivity to you. Because we love you and desire to respond to your grace. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.